But if you have your Bibles with you, or if you have a bulletin, open it with me to Psalm 119. Those of you who know the Bible say, Ooh, Psalm 119. That's a long one, Nate. Indeed, it is a long one. Uh, we are in our fifth week. If you're visiting with us, again, uh, welcome. We're in a fifth week of exploring some of the songs and poems of the Psalter, this ancient hymn book of God's people. I said it over and over again. We've looked at a various types of different psalms over the course of the last four weeks. Some lesser known psalms, some more well-known psalms. Today is probably one of those psalms that would fit into the category of, of more well-known. Uh, at least you know parts of it. You're very familiar with specific verses of it. This is a wisdom psalm, Psalm 119 is, and so we kind of move into a slightly different type of psalm than we've, when we've looked at in the past. But the way we're going to do this, Psalm 119, is we're going to begin this morning with just one verse, the first verse, to whet our appetites for what is to come. And then I'm going to read some more verses as we work our way through the psalm. And so I won't make you stand up for every section that I'm going to read, but I will make you stand up for the first verse. So stand if you're willing, if you're able, out of honor for God's word. Psalm 119, just verse 1 to begin. Listen as I read, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. This is the word of our God. God. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Blessed are those who walk in the law of the Lord. The way of blessing. The way of eh, happiness, we might say, but not happiness as the world thinks of it. True happiness, true wholeness, true fulfillment, the way of blessing. That's what we're after this morning. Psalm 119, familiar to many of you, maybe unfamiliar to some, which is fine. It's the longest psalm, and it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It is a beautiful piece of Hebrew poetry, but it's a lengthy one, 176 verses, divided into 22 different stanzas, one stanza for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Each of those stanzas have eight lines that start with that letter from the Hebrew alphabet. And each stanza, each line, uses various Hebrew terms to describe and to celebrate God's covenantal revelation. Let me just explain that phrase real quick. To reveal something, right, is for me to tell you something about Nate Hitchcock. That's revelation. Covenantal, I use that word a lot. Those of you who've been around for a long time know what it means. We talk about the covenant because the Bible talks about the covenant. The covenant is simply a relationship that God sets up with us and guarantees by His Word. And so, covenantal revelation is God revealing Himself to those whom He has set up a relationship with. 
Now, the translators of our English Bibles have made these Hebrew terms and the variety of the Hebrew terms very evident by using different English words, right? They use the word law. They use the word testimonies. They use the word precepts. They use the word statutes. They use the word commandments. They use the word rules. They use the word word. You haven't seen that yet, but you're going to see that. You're going to hear all those words. And all those different English words represent different Hebrew words that just expand the depth of God's covenantal revelation. You see, early on in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Yahweh the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, established his people, the nation of Israel, as people of the book, a people that were to know and keep his statutes in order that they might prosper. Recognizing that apart from God's ways, true blessing, true happiness simply can't be found. And so each verse of this long, lengthy poem, with just a few exceptions, refers to and says something about God's Word. So what we get as a result of this is basically 167 lines of saying the same thing in different ways. And we say, well, why is that necessary? Well, first of all, Psalm 119 is just a celebration of God's Word. Over and over and over again, the richness of God's word and his ways. But secondly, it's for our meditation. And I thought this quote by one scholar was helpful. He says, It establishes a focus of contemplation and evokes the mood of concentration and submission in which meditation occurs. Now, now that need not sound overly mystical to us. He's just speaking of Christian meditation. He's he's speaking of the kind of meditation that we talk about or we hear about in Psalm 1, which we'll get to and return to in just a minute. But this is why Psalm 19 has been referred to by many as the sequel to Psalm 1. And if last week, Psalm 2, was a worldview, then Psalm 119 points us to the guidebook for that worldview. Now obviously this is a long psalm. We're not going to read it all. We're not going to cover the whole thing. There there really is inexhaustible meditation here. One of the commentators that I was reading, he's an old Presbyterian preacher who's now with the Lord, preached 14 sermons on Psalm 119. I don't know how he got 14 since there's 22 stanzas, but anyway, 14 sermons. I'm not going to preach 14. I'm going to preach one. But it's interesting to know, Charles Spurgeon, that's a name that many of us are familiar with, the old Baptist preacher from the 19th century. He has 349 pages on this psalm. And then Charles Bridges, who is an 18th century English theologian, has 481 pages on this psalm. I did not read all of their commentary on this psalm this week. And then there's this great story. I'm getting to the psalm, but there's this great story told by the late James Boyce, pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philly. Oh, yeah. So folks went there. He says this, George Wisehart, a bishop of Edinburgh in the 17th century, was condemned to death and would have been executed except for this incident. When he was on the scaffold... 
he made use of a custom of the times that permitted the condemned to choose a psalm to be sung. He chose Psalm 119. (laughs) And before two-thirds of the psalm was sung, the pardon that he was expecting had time to arrive, and his life was indeed spared. That's a great story. It's a true story. Yeah. So here we are in 2022 as God's covenant people using the poetry of Psalm 119 to do the same thing it's done for generations. To help us to think on God's revelation and recalibrate our lives around it. Whether you're a new Christian, whether you're exploring Christianity, whether you're an old Christian tried and true who's read God's word dozens of times, whether you're a young person who's trying to establish rhythms and habits in your life, this is for you. Now this sermon is going to be a little bit different. You already know that from the start. I kind of want to read the verses and just sit down and just kind of spend some time just thinking about them. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to make a few comments on each of these sections for the purpose of celebrating and delighting in God's Word. Now what I've done, with the exception of the first verse that I just read to you, is I've chosen one verse out of each Hebrew letter. So out of each stanza, I've chosen one verse. So 22 verses in all. And I didn't spend an inordinate amount of time choosing them. They were the ones that resounded with my heart, resounded with my spirit. And then I grouped them in these three groups that I believe, that I hope and pray will encourage you and challenge you as we look at the character of God's Word, our attitude towards God's Word, and our resolve to keep God's So there's going to be overlap between these sections. I'm not saying that this is a neat and tidy exposition of these verses, but hopefully this will be helpful for our meditation. And so I want to begin three sections, three points. I'm going to read the first section to you. You can remain in your seats, and then we'll go and uh, talk a little bit about these verses. If you have a bulletin, this is easy to follow along. If you have your own copy of God's Word, it's really hard. Uh, because I'm just jumping all around from the different stanzas. So if you don't have your, if you don't have a bulletin, just listen to me. Don't try to, don't try to do anything different. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. Here's the point to meditate on in this section. The Word is our abiding standard. The Word is our abiding standard. Now what I mean when I say our is not 
our in terms of ascension or even our in terms of God's people, but our in terms of humanity. It's not our truth. This, this book is not our truth. This is the truth for all time, for all people. Whether you recognize the covenant God who made it, who spoke it, or not. God's Word is the best-selling book of all time, and yet it's never been under more assault than now. Any sliver of respect that God's Word had before and the world at large is quickly eroding, isn't it? There's a full frontal assault on it. Who cares about your ancient book, we hear. There's even assault within the church itself. We need to reinterpret that. We need to update that a bit more. The Word, as the abiding standard for all people, for all of life, for all of time, is offensive. And yet, as Psalm 119 declares, yet God the Creator, verse 73, your hands have made and fashioned me, who is good and does good, verse 68, has communicated his ways, his promises, his love, and it is not bitter, but it is sweet, verse 103 says. It is sweet, and God's revelation is sweet because it is grounded in who He is. And, and we first see that all around us, a God of beauty, a God of creativity, a God, as we were reminded a couple weeks ago, of power and majesty in the storm. And then we come to this Word, we come to this revelation, we come to His statutes, His ordinances, His law, and we see in His Word, we feel in His Word that He knows us. The Scriptures know us. And I know that many of you have felt it like I've felt it. You've heard that divine voice speaking to you as verses that you've read dozens of times seemingly lift off the page and speak right to your heart. As you come up to me after I preached a sermon and said, did you know what happened in my week this past week? Because you were speaking to me. That's the divine voice. That's the Word. This God not only has the right, but the desire that His creatures walk in truth. Truth that is timeless, not temporary. Not bound to time and place. Verse 89, Forever, O Lord, Your Word is firmly fixed in the heavens. And indeed, His Word is written in the sky, right? Psalm 19 says that. We've looked at that psalm before. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. But brothers and sisters, this written word didn't fall out of the sky. What we're talking about this morning wasn't discovered in the woods. It wasn't mysteriously written down in a cave by someone illiterate. No, for centuries, God's people, the nation of Israel, recognized and lived by an authoritative collection of sacred writings, writings grounded in this incredible supernatural revelation that was given to Moses and the prophets like him. We're talking about generations upon generations of Jews, millions and millions of people holding true to the Torah, the law, 
the writings, and the prophets. And then we come to the New Testament and to Jesus and to the revelation of the New Covenant. And the New Testament was not recognized overnight by some vote in a dark room. No, the New Testament developed over this gradual process, a process grounded in Jesus' spoken words and deeds and the apostles' witness of it all. And so by the second century, all the gospel accounts and a collection of Paul's letters were were circulating and being held in in the highest regard. And then came the heretics, which forced the church to further recognize what God has given. The point is, brothers and sisters, believing this word is reasonable, is rational, is reliable. This word is the abiding standard for life. And it's not up for debate. It's not up for negotiation. It's not up for reinterpretation. Now our hearts push back against that, don't they? All of our hearts push back. Which is why we hear the psalmist, even amidst of his affection for the Word, cry out, give me understanding. Verse 73. Teach me. Verse 68. You see, we have a problem, all of us. We are spiritually tone deaf. Have you ever watched American Idol, the music show, the audition show? I haven't watched it in years, but I remember watching it early on and and seeing these contestants. These contestants who sing with a confidence, thinking that they sound like Adele, and the reality is they sound nothing like her. They sound awful. They can't even sing a note. And then some of them, even after these judges, these professional musicians, tell them that they can't sing, they still deny it. You see, we must have the ability, you and I, to to hear the notes of the Scriptures. Because without the Holy Spirit, the Bible is, is a dead book. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 2, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. We impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, reinterpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that believing the Bible is subjective. No, this is objective truth that must be believed, but we must have help. So what's the point of all this? Well, three things. First of all, be encouraged. Be encouraged. We we stand on solid ground, not some ancient pipe dream. This is the standard for life. Secondly, beware. We dare not twist God's Word into our modern sensibilities or preferences. We dare not try or attempt to remove the offense of His statutes to a people who don't want anything to do with Him anyway. And then thirdly, the challenge comes to you and me. What do we functionally believe about God's truth? Not not theologically what I just went through and said, but what do we functionally believe about God's truth? 
if this is the standard for our lives, then what place does this have in our lives? That's a question for all of us. The Word of God is the abiding standard of our existence. Section 2, beginning in verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. My soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. My flesh trembles for fear of you and I am afraid of your judgments. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Second thing, the word is the path for true life. The Word is the standard, our standard, but the Word is also the path for true life. We're all searching for it, that pursuit of happiness. And the latest mantra in our culture is be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. We say this like the tone-deaf singers on American Idol under the assumption that ourselves can be trusted. And it's proving disastrous for us as a society. We're abandoning God's good design for those of our own making. We find ourselves caught up in the things that the world chases after. You and I live in an age of information and entertainment Overload, And that's why I love the verses. I love the images of verses 25 and 37. My soul clings to the dust. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. And here's where that prequel of, of Psalm 1 comes into view. Psalm 1 puts before us, remember, these two ways to live, but only one brings life. He who delights in the law of the Lord and meditates on it day and night. You see, we're not just reading the Word, we're not just knowing it intellectually, but we're meditating on that Word. And biblical meditation is not this emptying of a mind, it is the filling of a mind. The filling of a mind with God's thoughts as they are found in the Scriptures. We might find guidance and help in time of need. Paul told the Colossians, let the Word of Christ Dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. That's why we here at Ascension, each Lord's Day, we sing, we read, we pray, we hear the Word. And that's why the Word needs to be the centerpiece of our homes, not just a plaque on the wall, but the substance of our conversations and our meditation. And back to Paul's encouragement to the Colossians, this is the word of Christ, right? Jesus is, the person of Jesus is the heart of the word. He is the goal of the word. He is the unity of the word. And so we're not just delighting in a book, we're delighting in a voice that is speaking to us. The voice of our Savior And so let me wrap this up with some real practical takeaways. Let me read one more section. Psalm 119, starting in verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. 
and I will meditate on your statutes. Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Can we leave that slide? Just leave that slide up there if you would, Drew, as we walk through this last point. The Word is not only the standard for all of our lives, it's not only the path for true life, but here's the last encouragement for us from this passage. Make the Word the saturation of your sojourn. I like turns of phrases. I deal in a world of words, and so forgive me for getting a little bit of a kick out of that. Saturation of our sojourn. God has given us His revelation because we don't have the fullness of who He is right now. We don't have the fullness of His presence and His voice, but we have this for the journey. So let me close with just four pointed encouragements as we meditate and celebrate and reflect on the Word and and recommit ourselves to this Word. The first one is this. Seek Him at sunrise. Seek Him at sunrise. Now this is not necessarily a case for you to set your alarm earlier. Sunrise is really early in Washington in the summer. What I mean is start your day with Him. Start your day with His Word. Verse 155. The wicked, they don't seek your statutes. Verse 147. I rise before dawn and I cry for help. I hope in your words. His promise, His hope, the outlook of His words becomes the lens through which I live my life and walk in my day. So seek Him at sunrise. It's part of the first way to saturate God's Word in your sojourn. The secondly is sing His Word. Let it be the soundtrack of your day. Verse 54, Your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. What, what, are, what are you filling your minds with? What are you listening to? Distant drama on talk radio, political diatribes on NPR. Th- th- those have their place. I'm not saying they don't. But fill your soul with the songs of His Word. Number three, hide His Word in your heart. Verse 11, I have stored your Word in my heart. Now I exhort you in this as a fellow struggler. Bible memorization is not just for our kids. It's easier for our kids, for sure. But it needs to be a part of the rhythm of our spirituality. We need to tuck away His promises and perspective that we might easily pull it out when we need it. This is hard to do. But are you memorizing His Word? And then lastly, make the sanctuary a priority. You're here this morning. Praise God for that. Psalm 73, a psalm we've looked at before. Asaph struggles with the state of the world as he looks at it and as he sees it. In verse 16 of Psalm 73, he says, but when I thought how to understand this, 
it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. Because here, brothers and sisters, through the word that we sing, the word that we pray, the word that you hear, here is where we see reality, right? Here is where we receive and find encouragement. Here is where you are assured you are not crazy, but there are other people who believe in a risen Jesus. There are other people who believe that this is a divine, God-breathed book for all of life. And as we've heard Paul say, you need to hear those people singing in your ears. You need to be able to hug them, shake their hands, look into their eyes. And so as great as online worship is, and I'm thankful that our folks can be tuning in, it's not the same. It's not the same as being here. You need to be here. Make the sanctuary a priority. Just some practical ways for you and I to make the word the saturation of our sojourn. So much more could be said on these 176 verses of Psalm 119. I encourage you to spend some time in it. Meditate on it. It's the abiding standard, the path of true life, our gift for our journey. A lamp, a light, True bread, living water, sweet to the taste, filling for the soul. Let's pray that we have the grace, that we have His Spirit to help us delight and saturate ourselves with His Word. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we thank You for this lengthy poem that celebrates Your revelation to us as Your people. Father, in a world of information, in a world of blogs and books and songs and voices and movies and media, there's so much that we can fill our minds with. Father, we pray for greater focus, greater resolve to be people of Your Word. People who hope in the final Word, the Word of Jesus, the Word who is Jesus. And recognize that this written Word is Your voice, Jesus, to us as Your people. And when we experience the fullness of Your presence, all the gaps will be filled. All the questions will be answered. But until then, may we seek Your face in your statutes. O Holy Spirit, these are your words. Take them, plant them deep in the hearts of your people. Do what you desire here this morning for your glory and for our good, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.